Hi, everyone. <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to be back, and it's great to see all of you again. <laughs> Thank you for the welcome. And it's, I'm grateful uh, to be sharing the, mes the message again, but I must say it's kind of nervous <laughs> to be back up here. So let's go straight into the uh, text today. It's Jeremiah 33, verse 1 to 13. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege ramps, and before the sword. The Chaldeans are coming in to fight and to fill them with the dead bodies of those whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I've hidden my face from the city because of all their wickedness. I'm going to bring it recovery and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without human beings or animals. In the town, towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without inhabitants, human or animal, there shall once more be heard the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the vo voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without human beings or animals, and in all its towns there shall once again be pasture of shepherds resting their flocks, in the towns of the hill country, of the Shephelah, and of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places around the Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, flocks shall once again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Uh, here we have uh, the prof prophet Jeremiah locked up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of King Zedekiah. Now, King Zedekiah was the king of Judah. So, uh, meaning Jeremiah wasn't taken as a hostage. He's not in an enemy's courtyard. He is taken hostage uh, and imprisoned uh, by his own people, by his own king. So what was his crime? He was charged with treason and insurrection because he's been delivering difficult, harsh message to the king and the people. He spoke of the words of God's judgment condemnation regarding, regarding social injustice and adultery about the people. He forcefully, he desperately pleaded 
for them to repent, turn their evil ways and return to God. Because they have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten who God is. And that they have forgotten that their responsibility is God's covenant people. And his message of repentance changed the message of doom. That Judah will fall. And will be besieged and will be taken into exile by the Babylonians. And people despised it. Uh, and he, a, and the, as a result, he was shunned, he was beaten, he was rejected. But he continued to proclaim. He continued to deliver God's difficult message. Can you believe it? Not just once, but for 40 years, he had to deliver this message to the people. And he didn't stop until he's confined in jail and he's still proclaiming. And now everything that he had proclaimed was happening. In Jerusalem. Babylonians were a few miles outside of Jerusalem and they, the city is about to be besieged. Within days they will be taken as captives into exile. They will be separated from their family. Everything they had, their possession will be taken away. Their future has become uncertain and unknown. And they thought all along that they had a right. And we have the right religion. We have the temple. There's no way that Jerusalem will fall, they thought. But now the whole nation is about to fall before their eyes and their hearts are starting to melt. They're turning into panic and they are being paralyzed by fear. And at such time as this, God's message comes to Jeremiah. And, the, and first, he makes a note of people's wickedness that resulted in sin. Now, sin runs its course, and it will have consequence. Uh, God's anger before sin is real. Uh, but mentioning sin related to suffering, however, I think it's important to note that not all suffering is a result of personal sin. Uh, sometimes our narrow and reductionistic theodicy, like we, when we try to explain suffering in a very simplistic way, sometimes we lay the burdens on ourselves and especially other people when we try to do that. And instead of leading them towards God, we make them turn away from God uh, with that extra layer of guilt. Uh, so more times not, and not, more times than not, we don't know and we cannot know the reason for suffering in our lives sometimes. Right? Uh, we simply sometimes have to accept the fact that we live in a fallen world with its brokenness. Um, and judgment and forgiveness is realm of God. That's God's doing, not us. But I think when it comes to my own brokenness, looking at my heart, I think I realize that we do need to be attentive, sensitive, and reflective. What is going on in my heart? Because we live in a world where because those words sin and abuse, uh, sin and guilt were abused, they are removed from our language. We get really uncomfortable when we hear them. And as a result, people don't see the need for uh, sin or forgiveness or need for God. But does that remove people's need for God? No. More than ever, people are struggling with shame loneliness and meaninglessness. Uh, there's a significant difference between guilt and shame. 
sometimes we use it interchangeably, but they're different. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. I am worthless. And so sometimes shame, a guilt is considered good because it leads people to change their behavior. But shame just takes you deeper down into dark spiral because it's constant knowing that you are worthless. And only God can remove shame and guilt and offer us the forgiveness that we need. Uh, going back to today's text, in this particular case, through Jeremiah, God had warned, and, and now they're facing their inescapable fall. But when we look at the text, it says, in this particular dark and chaotic time, God speaks the message of healing. From Jeremiah 30, chapter 30 to now 33, it's flooded, if you really look carefully, with message and image of healing and restoration. God says, I'm going to bring it to recovery and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore. I will rebuild. I will cleanse. I will forgive. And this city will once again be, there will be joy. There will be praise. There will be glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear the good that I did to them. At this climatic moment of national crisis and despair why is God speaking the message of hope why is God speaking the message of restoration and renewal all of a sudden but why why now we may ask because it is in the time of our own despair uh, it is in time of sometimes panic and crisis we lose something most crucial for us, our deepest need, which is the ability to see that there is better tomorrow, that there is a future. Because even if you are in a dark tunnel and you know that this is just a tunnel and you can see a glimpse of light, you can see the end, it doesn't matter how long that tunnel is, you will take that journey, you will walk out that tunnel. But the worst thing is, you don't see that light. You don't see the end. And, the, and our will to continue, our will to persist gets attacked. And so God knew what, we, what Israelites and what we really need in the moment of crisis and despair. And it's the hope that we see at the end of the tunnel. So knowing that, yes, it's very difficult right now and it's scary, but because I see that light, because I think tomorrow will be better than today, I will continue. I will persist. I will come out of this tunnel. That's what hope does to you. And that's what the hope that God breeds into our being. It is when, not in our heads, but it's when at the ontological level, at this core of your being, of where you form, who you are, your values, that's where hope rises. And when hope rises, your thoughts change. Completely it was dark, it was black, but you start to see, you start to think differently. You start to see new possibility that you've never saw before. That's what hope does. And your feelings change. 
you can do this. And you're without even knowing, you knowing it, you're moving into action. There's courage, there's willingness to walk out of that tunnel. Because you know that tomorrow, the future is better than today. This past year, while I was studying counseling down in the States, I was introduced to a vast number of difficult, uh, difficult and different psychopathologies. And I was fascinated and many times appalled at how much people are suffering in this world in ways that I've never knew existed, I never thought was possible, that people are suffering. And in all my counseling classes, over and over again, professors slash pastors, uh, they will tell me, you know, before you learn any technique, before you try to apply any methods, there's some things that, number one, you have to do is first, you got to have compassion. You got to have compassion. Unconditional, positive regard. And absolutely no judgment. There cannot be even a tint of judgment in you that they experience. And most importantly, as a counselor, even if they can't see it, you have to believe that they can change. You have to believe that no matter what condition they have, what kind of situation they are in, that they can change. It is when your compassion and your belief that there is a new possibility in this person gets transferred, it starts to, the change starts to happen. Because for many people, amazingly, that first encounter may be the first time they've ever been validated. They've heard their voice. they felt the warmth. And God revealed to me that I have a long way to go. This compassion uh, to really know and to really grasp it and to really manifest compassion, I think it's a lifelong journey. But the more I meditate, I realize, you know what? Myself alone don't have hope, but as long as I'm attached to God, as long as I'm abiding in God, there's always hope for every, any individual that I will come across, including myself. Because God never gives up. Because God breathed out hope. He wants to give hope. So as long as God is present in your life, as long as his promise is living, alive, there will always be hope. There will always be a way out of your tunnel. No matter how dark it may seem to be. For those of you, especially our high seat, with, with, although I have absolutely no doubt that you are abiding deeply in God's love, I truly believe that, if, if this love of God seems abstract, uh, think of that one person in your life who never fails to believe in you. That one person to whom you can reveal and just be yourself. And you've, you say you've done, you do something awful, and yet you know that person will still love you. That one person who doesn't need to strive, who doesn't need to put an effort to see your strength, your beauty, they just naturally see it. They recognize your strength and beauty that sometimes you yourself don't even see whose voice during your midterms or your finals that say, it's okay, you will do fine, you can do this. And that voice just calms the panic and storm rising inside of you. 
It is a voice in the presence of our mother, our grandmother, who believes in you, who see, always see a new possibility in you. And they remind us of our God, again, who never ceases to see the new possibility in us, in our life. And he turns that into commitment and action. It's the hope that enables us to see ourselves differently and the world differently. And help to bring, people, bring hope in the lives around us. Our history shows us that it was those people in times of despair who saw new possibility. Uh, Mother Teresa, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they spoke of new possibility. They had hope. And when everybody says, it's not going to work, that's it. We're, we're doomed. This is the end. It's, it's impossible. They somehow saw something that nobody else saw. And they changed the course of history. And not only in history, and not just these gigantic, uh, in terms of their vision, these people, but I do see uh, people around me um, that there are people fighting against despair, uh, fighting for life, not just their lives, but lives of others, for those who are voiceless, those who are um, vulnerable, those who, have, who don't have power. And they believe that something others believe is impossible. They believe that it is possible. It may take more time, but it is possible. And I see in them God's presence and God's hope. And yes, it is possible. May God bless us uh, so that we may always rise with hope. Um, and may we always see new possibility in every, in every, any situation that we are in. May God bless us with faith to see and to believe so that we can live out God's radical hope and we can see the great and hidden things he hasn't planned for us. Let's take this time uh, to pray.